Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. The In Focus podcast is back after a few days in which we've stepped back from covering COVID-19. We have done a few episodes though in the interim on other subjects. So, we return this week with a short and a long news update. The long update, which is a detailed look at the numbers and the data around COVID-19 and how it's spreading in India at the moment, that we'll get to tomorrow. For today, we have an assortment of news points to cover. Two of these news points are related to the Indian Council for Medical Research. Last week, the ICMR released some numbers from a zero survey or a general population test for antibodies that was carried out in some districts to look at how widespread COVID-19 is in India. We'll take a look at those numbers and also go a bit beyond what was said in the press conference related to that study. Another report in the news recently that the ICMR is actually now trying to distance itself from is a study saying that India's COVID-19 peak may only come in November. We'll discuss that too. And to end, we'll get a news update on the situation in Beijing, where despite some of the world's most stringent measures on containment, a surge of new cases are now being reported. My guests today on the show are Jacob Koshi, the Hindu's deputy science editor, followed by Anand Krishnan, our former Beijing correspondent. So, Jacob, the interesting thing, the the aspect that I want to actually dwell on a little bit is this um, is the zero survey that was mentioned by the ICMR in one of their press releases last week. That is a sampling survey of the general population um, testing for antibodies, and um, mm-hmm. you know the, all that we heard of it from a news perspective was that the results of the survey were kind of. I mean, the ICMR said that it was indicative of the fact that the lockdown was successful. So mm. we'll leave that aside because we haven't really gotten more details about the survey itself. But you have you but you have done an analysis based on some of the talking points that they gave out in the press release. Yeah. So what what more can be what more can we say about the survey and in terms of what does it indicate about how widespread the infection actually is? So this zero survey was uh, actually commissioned around twelfth May, and you know it basically was to check the prevalence of the infection in the country based on antibody tests. So antibody tests are not really good at diagnosed, diagnosing an infection, but they are generally good at, you know, assessing the spread of a disease in, the communi- in a community. So this study was, uh, they, had cho- they had chosen 60 to 69 districts, you know, across the country. And these are four kinds of districts. There were districts which had zero cases, which had low number of cases, medium number of cases and high number of cases. The point was to basically uh, choose, you know, 400 people from each of these uh, uh, different kinds of uh, categories of districts and uh, basically test to test them to take via a blood sample get a sense of whether they showed any antibodies to the infection and if they showed and if they should test it positive on these tests that would basically show that you know uh, they were exposed to the virus at some point uh, you know in the last three preceding three weeks or you know possibly even before that so the 
aim is really not the numbers, but to get a sense of how widely the infection has spread. So right. they had released. Uh, so ideally, the way to go about this was, uh, you know, the surveys were done, and you know, the results were out, analysis is going on. So ideally, it should have been out in a paper, and where you know, it would have dis- uh, where we would have details on how did the disease spread in high risk clusters, how much in low uh, in low spread clusters. You know, get, getting a sense of the spread of the infection. But uh, Balram Bhargava, the DG of ICMR in a conference only said that, you know, based on the survey, they found that only 0.73% of the population in those districts uh, had tested positive. So that does not give you a sense of how much of the in the sample. So the sample ultimately involved testing nearly 24,000 odd people. And it was it would have been useful to know how many of those people actually tested positive and whether that can be extrapolated to the entire country. But we didn't know that. So what uh, I did was, you know, you uh, we knew the we knew the percentage in the population of the districts that were infected. So I kind of went back and found the population of all these districts, and you know, from that I kind of calculated that this works works out around nearly seven hundred thousand uh, infections. Now at that time, India had only confirmed about thirty five thousand uh, cases. This essentially means that you know you're underestimating undercounting the uh, potential actual number of cases by nearly 20 and it could actually the estimates are way more than that because uh, 35,000 cases included the entire population the entire country so in just these 60 odd districts it would have been much fewer and uh, the survey only counted adults for instance so the overall message of you know this this analysis was that you know the scale of the infection is actually much larger than is officially reflected in the uh, uh, you know in our figures and mind you this was actually in april and may you know early may when the lockdown was uh, you know still in progress now we have gone to so much more than 3 3 lakh cases and so many more deaths so if you were to and there is so much more relaxations as compared to the um, time then so you know we could just speculate on you know where we to multiply it by such a wide number i mean what would be the true level of infection right now but all in all the basic point is that the icmr should be more transparent with its surveys and give more details on the spread of these clusters because uh, calculating numbers is i mean boiling down to a single number is a little problematic because this is ultimately a sample survey so it's almost like how just as the gdp of a country does not really capture the wide variation in earnings of different sectors or different people. Uh, a single number doesn't really capture the spread of the infections in across districts. So uh, overall, it does show that, you know, the infection was much larger and it had spread much larger in spite of the lockdown. So it, the, he did acknowledge that the, there are a lot of people still susceptible because the spread has been low, uh, according to what their estimation was, because 0.73% on the surface looks like a very small spread. but Yes, I mean, uh, it still raises questions on how effective the lockdown was and given the early promise on, on how it was projected as, you know, everybody staying inside for 15 days would stamp out the virus. Yeah. Though over time, we have seen the narrative on it shift and now there is more of a consensus that, you know, India basically just has to have the virus blaze through its population and the best we can do now is actually just, uh, you know, ensure that we have enough healthcare facilities in place to keep up with the patient load. Right. So just one point of clarification here. So it's not that the 0.73 percentage uh, figure is wrong. It's just that 
0.73% if you really look at the numbers adds up to a lot more than was actually being reported yes i mean it i mean the 0.73 is in those districts translate to translates to nearly 700000 infections of sars cov 2 so and right. what was lab confirmed cases were only 35000 so that's nearly one is to 20 you know in terms of uh, you know scaling up so to say so the thing is uh, again this was this is an one this is based on detecting antibodies whereas lab confirmed is far more accurate in terms of diagnosing infection but right. all those factors in you know how accurate the antibody tests were 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 essentially factored in you know when they came up with this 0.73% number and it is it is not surprising because all countries everywhere it is now a given that you know, the number of cases that you can actually diagnose and confirm would be much fewer than the actual spread of the infection so it is not surprising in that sense but uh, what is really uh, uh, interesting is the you know we need more transparency in terms of surveyors actually giving us closer estimates to the true uh, level of infection especially in a population like india so um let's just let's just segue from there on to um, more uh, more recent events for the past couple of days there was a report uh, that was in the news yesterday that said that india could reach its uh, covid-19 peak as late as november mm-hmm. and um today the um the icmr on twitter at least has basically distanced itself from that report saying that it's uh, not a peer reviewed yeah um publication so just uh, give us some details about w- what is the report who created that and what does it say so it is a modeling study and there are there are dime a dozen modeling studies you know being prepared by various groups of institutions and scientists you know trying to get a sense of uh, you know how this pandemic is going to progress so this group basically did not do anything unusual i mean it just took uh, you know uh, it had a model of infection spread and you know it just gave some estimates based on you know how it expects the numbers to peak so at it, in essence it the major point it made was that you know we would still see a peak uh, of cases at about 40 million now depending on the effectiveness of the lockdown they calculated about three or four scenarios that is eight weeks of lockdown with public health uh, measures such as social distancing and you know uh, healthcare facilities etc spruced up with that they modeled four scenarios and they found that the most acceptable scenario was that you know uh, with lockdown assumed 60% effective there would be a 40 million uh, peak of cases by november now this is okay i mean modeling studies have been uh, told to be uh, you know just indicators of uh, and you know aids to planning and you know really if we really shouldn't take the numbers at complete face value however what right. is really happened is that it also had lots of co-authors from icmr i mean it involved uh, people uh, icmr scientists from the headquarters in delhi the lead author was a scientist at the postgraduate institute of medical research in chandigarh a very reputed uh, hospital but mm. uh, you know so the and the, st- the co-author also the lead author also acknowledged funding from the icmr very surprisingly this morning the icmr just dissociated itself with the study saying that it was a modeling study it was not peer which is true i mean the study still appears only in med archive which is a preprint server and it is now an accepted practice for science for lots of scientists to upload their work before peer review in a, a preprint archive so that it can be widely viewed by other scientists and any errors or corrections pointed out before it actually 
being sent for a peer review, so to say. However, it is unfair for the ICMR to actually say that it did not fund the study or none of its authors were involved in the manuscript because the citations and the paper clearly say so. And it is very unlikely that, uh, you know, a professional scientist would, uh, you know, lie about things like, uh, you know, author affiliation and the sources of funding because these are very basic things and these are not the kind of things that really get uh, have relevance to whether a paper is peer reviewed or not because the peer review aspect of the paper is in the methods and the modeling and etc there have been no questions raised on those issues but the icmr is distanced from the study it's still not clear why so to say but no i mean there, there is one worrying aspect about the study which is that the peak is still a long way off but um, was there anything else necessarily in terms of the numbers projected that all, the icmr wants to be cautious about well it also said that uh, you know in uh, the amount of money needed would be nearly 26000 crores which was uh, like 6% of gdp and you know uh, of health gdp and you know this is a much bigger number than what is ostensibly being allocated towards the, uh, you know, towards fighting the pandemic. It also projects that, you know, there would likely be a shortfall of ICUs and ventilate, ICU beds and ventilators around, uh, you know, around November. So these are all numbers that just come from, you know, doing the math modeling. But overall, the study is actually very, uh, you know, commends the government very highly. It says that, you know, it is... What we see now is is a kind of flattening of the curve, and it is because of the steps taken by the government. So it it is not at all critical of right. uh, uh, you know what is uh, you know what the government has done so far, which is why it is uh, kind of unusual and surprising for ICMR to have distanced it from study. Now the thing with ICMR is that it is the biggest funder of medical research in India. It funds a lot of researchers and lots of studies, and Nowhere in the world does funding a study mean endorsing its findings, so to say. So okay. it was, again, unusual as to why, uh, you know, it is, uh, you know, they have been so seriously uh, taken aback by this, so to say. Right. Jacob, uh, thank you for that update. We'll catch up again as and when um, there's a news event that we uh, can discuss. Thanks sure. for joining us today. Anant, thank you for joining us again today. And um, uh, so th just by way of an update, um, let's just get a sense of what's going on with uh, Beijing right now in China. Uh, because we have heard that there are some, there's been an uptick of new cases. That's right, Jayant. And it's been a really surprising development for many in China because Beijing has gone for 56 days without a single COVID-19 case. And uh, people have been so careful uh, in terms of the rules that they put in place in Beijing for example, the limited number of international flights that are coming into China, no flights are, are allowed to fly directly to Beijing. So passengers have been uh, taken to other cities, checked, and then sent to Beijing. It being the capital, it's always been given special treatment. So the fact that after 56 days and after so many policies that have been put in place, that Beijing is dealing with a new cluster has come as a big surprise. So what, uh, what we know so far is that a lot of these cases... Uh, are linked to one of the biggest wholesale markets uh, in 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 the south of the city. Uh, and on Saturday, the authorities said there were 36 cases, all of which were linked to this market. So the first cases were reported on Thursday and Friday of last week. And this has sort of sent alarm bells ringing, given that 
Uh, I think now you have more cases in Beijing ever recorded, even during the height of the crisis. So they've put in place a whole new set of policies, what they're calling a wartime approach uh, to to stamp out cases in Beijing. And they fired a lot of local officials as well. So you can really tell that there is a sense of maybe not alarm, but serious concern in Beijing right now. Right. So the concerning thing here is that, you know, given Beijing might be going through the second wave and what we initially heard about uh, COVID-19, um, you know, in the Chinese experience was that, you know, they're able to do this really serious crackdown and contain people and take all these sort of, um, you know, extreme measures to contain the disease. But having done all that, um, given that they're having this uh, this new surge in cases, uh, what do you think that that means for other countries? I mean, specifically for us, given the situation that we are in. So we don't quite know whether this is really a second wave or not. There's still some doubt as to what triggered this cluster in Beijing after 56 days of zero cases. And one suggestion seems to be that it's somehow linked to imported salmon is something that the Chinese media is saying. How the virus persisted on salmon that was imported is a very, is a very strange assertion, but that's what they've been saying. Uh, but to your question, I think it is a huge concern. I mean, I know there is a lot of skepticism about China's numbers. And a lot. A question that I get asked a lot is, how is it that there are no very few cases outside of Wuhan and Hubei in China? I think even if you are skeptical about China's numbers, and of course, there is good reason to be skeptical about Chinese data, there's no denying that they have clamped down on the number of cases to a huge degree in places like Beijing and Shanghai. And what attests to that is the fact that they have been easing up a little bit. People have been going back to work. And I've heard from uh, friends in Beijing, including a number of people who are foreign journalists and are by no means part of the Chinese state uh, media machinery. Yeah. I have heard from them that they have done very well in clamping down in Beijing. So the concern is that if, even if after all the measures that they've taken, if they're unable to stamp out this virus, which is proving to be so resilient, well, what does this mean for the rest of us? Right. And do we have a sense also of, um, you did mention that they closed down uh, a big uh, food market. Um, do we have a sense of, you know, the kind of, in terms of immediate response, other things that they, they, they have done uh, just as soon as there was reporting of new cases? Right. So the first thing that they did was uh, when these cases were linked to the Shinfadi market, they closed down this market as well as several other markets uh, in the city. I know that they've imposed lockdowns and severe restrictions in 11 residential neighborhoods that are in the vicinity of the Shinfadi market. Uh, I've read that schools and nurseries in this part of Beijing have been closed and their reopening, has, which was actually scheduled uh, for June 15th, has been postponed, all because of this new cluster of cases. And I've also read that people have been taking salmon off the shelves in supermarkets all across Beijing because people are concerned that somehow it's linked to salmon, though I think we still have to wait and see what triggered this cluster. So the, the steps they're taking, I think, do go to show the kind of seriousness with which they're dealing with it. But they also have, uh, interestingly, fired some of the local government officials uh, who are part of the district administration in Fengtai, which is one of Beijing's districts, whether that has generated a little bit of debate in China, as some people are concerned that, well, if your first reaction is to fire the officials, will this encourage others to cover up cases rather than, uh, you know, be transparent about them? So you're, seeing, yeah. so you're seeing on the one hand very strong measures in terms of what they're doing uh, to prevent the spread of it. Uh, and I think they hope that this cluster is going to be contained very quickly. Right. 
Anand, um, this is something we'll continue to keep a watch on, obviously. Um, thank you for joining us today with that update. Thank you, Jayant.